ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Recording on Zoom, Zoomy Zoom, zooming straight through your front door. Welcome back to Peak Speak. Oh, that is a, like, man, I swear you are spending most of your time lately just practicing segues and not actually doing any real productive work. Yeah, well, that might be true. Oh, look, and it seems to be working well for you because so far, I think every episode we've recorded in the last two months, you've had at least one high quality segue into whatever mm. it is we're talking about. Maybe it's just the high quality caffeine provided by Prism Coffee Co. Oh, oh my God, Thomas, two in one. That's too much. That's too much. Use code PIXPEAK for 10% off. That was, that was very well done. Uh, I am suitably impressed by that. And yes, drink that coffee. It's delicious. But normally I haven't, I've heard the story that you tell at the start and I haven't actually heard the story. So I want to get straight into the fucking front door debacle. Yes. So uh, to add to the shit show that is owning a small business in 2020, uh, Friday last week, I came home from the gym, was having a relaxing morning, hanging out with my son. Uh, my partner had just gone to work. My son and I were about to take the dog for a nice long walk, uh, which is one of my favorite things to do on a Friday, just like spend an hour wandering around in the bush, relaxing. And I got a very panicked phone call from our cleaner. Uh, having just spoken to her like five minutes earlier, uh, she called me back and like sounded really shocked and like panicked. I was like, someone's here at the gym. You have to come right now. And I said, sorry, what? Someone's here at the gym. I like, you have to come right now. We need you here right now. I was like, okay. And so I 
then had a massive fight with my son as I tried to throw him in the car because <laughs> you can't change your plans on a toddler at the last second. That's not how life works. Yeah. Uh, threw him in the car, bundled the dog into the car, got into the car, drove to the gym uh, to discover someone had literally hit the gym. Uh, there was a van wedged firmly inside our front door. Uh, <laughs> a... Uh, delivery driver had stopped. So uh, for those of you that haven't been to Burley, our gym is located at the bottom of a like a sort of U-bend lot uh, and it's at the bottom of a, a fairly steep hill mm-hmm. uh, and a delivery driver had parked their van and, you know, like a sort of a big proper delivery van, like not just a little Toyota Hi-Ace but like a full-size delivery van Uh like, what is it, four doors up from us, uh, got out, allegedly applied the handbrake uh, and went inside, came back out and was like, oh, where's the van? And turned to the left and discovered their van firmly wedged in the front door of my gym. Uh, so, yeah, the van had just clearly either the handbrake had failed or she didn't put the handbrake on in the way she claimed she did. Um, and the van rolled all the way down and fortunately I think in the scheme of things lined up perfectly with the big glass fronted door that we have. So all it really did was push the whole aluminium door frame into the building uh, and didn't do any structural damage. I think Mm. if it had been a bit further to the left or the right, you know, or veered off slightly, it would have done some real damage like, you know, breaking potentially structural bricks and, Mm. and making our lives much more difficult Fortunately, all it seems to have done is fuck our front door completely. Uh, if you feel like checking out the carnage, you can have a look at either my Instagram or uh, the Burley page uh, at Just Shero or at Burley Strength <laughs> and check out the photos. Uh, it was pretty impressive. Um, yeah. it, it's pretty fucked. <laughs> is the is the security footage? Did you send, just send that to us, or did you put that up somewhere as well? Uh, I think I put it on the stories, but I don't think I've uh, saved it, so I might be gone. Yeah. That was brutal. Like, a, yeah. imagine someone walking up to the door at that stage. Yeah, well, so that was the thing: is the cleaner had just she just put a uh, bag of rubbish down by the front door, oh, and man. like had turned and taken five steps away from the door or something, and yeah, she got a real fright. Uh, as you can imagine yeah. and um, and yeah so this delivery drive was was super apologetic and I said look you know shit happens uh, at this point given the year that we've had uh, I'm laughing about it because if <laughs> I don't I'll be really depressed uh, but as far as I'm concerned like no one got hurt uh, this isn't going to cost me anything because it was 100% not my fault uh, and in the scheme of things, there are worse things that could have happened than mm. the front door being fucked. It's been annoying to deal with because we didn't, uh, our like strata managers had said they'd send someone out to secure the door on Friday uh, until they could, you know, get it assessed and, and repaired. Uh, they didn't. At 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, I called my brother who's a chippy and um was like, hey, man, we're in a bit of a pickle. Can you come and help us board this door up? And so he came out and it's all sort of secure now at least. Uh, And, yeah, we finally heard back from the Strata people on fucking Tuesday. Uh, So that's going to be a ginormous fuck around in my life for a while. Uh, 
we've had to, you know, like we're going to have to replace our swipe card entry system, which means all our 24 hour members are currently entering through the back gate using lock boxes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just a bit of a hassle. Uh, but fortunately, um, everyone's super chill about it, uh, as you would imagine, because there's nothing we can fucking do at this point. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was certainly not the way I had planned to spend my Friday. Mm. Um, See, if you, know. you were Lebanese, you would have been like, okay, well, Strata hasn't sent the people to board up the door. Mysteriously, all the equipment went missing on Saturday. Uh, insurance, hey, you guys didn't board it up. You're going to have to cover all my equipment and get me brand new stuff. But Look, you're, I'd be, I'd you're be lying to you, true blue Aussie. Yeah, I'd be lying to you if I didn't consider it. Uh, <laughs> but I decided it was more hassle than it was worth. <laughs> See, the hole in that theory is if that a cop's going to come around and be like, "Who the fuck would rob a powerlifting gym?" Yeah, this, yeah. Oh, this this is someone who's con- conveniently spent twelve hours emptying your gym of all the equipment. Uh, yeah, no, that's. Um, that was yeah. the discussion I had when we moved to this building. It was like and then, it took it took twelve of us with like four cars and four trailers, something like eight or nine hours to move the whole gym six hundred meters. Like no one's fucking stealing powerlifting equipment. Mm. Yeah, anyway. I, I had um, I had a security system failure at the at the Colgo's gym recently, and uh, so the way around that because the front door stopped working is to let people in the back door, and the way to do that is to leave the back door unlocked. And someone asked me, they're like, aren't you worried about people taking things? I'm like, well, A, I have security cameras. So if someone takes someone, I'm going to see it anyway. I'm going to have the evidence. I'm not worried in in that sense. And B, if you're dumb enough to come and like load plates from the gym and walk them out into your car, you can have them. Yeah. For it. yeah, I don't even like carrying the plates from the tree to the bar, let alone <laughs> exactly. The back of my car. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I had a similar discussion with my perhaps slightly uh, fear based mother who was convinced that we needed like alarm systems and stuff when we moved in here. I said, Mum, like if they steal it they're stealing it for their own use and I'll probably see it on Instagram at some point because I just know all the power lifters in camera. <laughs> and if they're stealing it to sell, I'll fucking find it because I spend most of my time looking at things like Marketplace and Gumtree to yeah. find secondhand equipment because it's a really good place to do it. Yeah. Oh, whoops, that's an AMFX mono for sale in Canberra and I've, there's only two of them in Canberra and they're both mine. <laughs> so I'll take that back. Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that was that was my Friday. It was an interesting time, and just another yeah. yeah mark in the weird shit show that has been twenty twenty. Yeah, I feel like you've copped it more than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like. There's certainly been some some moments where it's felt like that, um, but you know, we're getting through it. The gym is still standing. No That's one got hurt. Exactly. And we'll get a new front door. I'd been meaning to update the business hours on the sticker on the door anyway. So <laughs> that's one know, way. It's, it's a win-win, really. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it's all all sorted out really quickly. Yeah, I doubt it's going to be quick, but you know, whatever. What are we talking about today? Uh, well, because we're super prepared and well thought out and hashtag professionals, uh, we had a whole list of topics that we were going to cover in one rapid fire episode because. Mm. That's the kind of people we are, and it's not at all because we couldn't think of enough things to talk about for an hour, and so we're just mashing a whole bunch of shit together. So this is the stuff episode. The stuff episode. The things and stuff episode. Where are we going to start? Sounds uh, question. Yeah, I think so. 
You want to outline that? Because I'm not you say Sam's question. (laughs) (laughs) So Sam, our beloved media team, uh, wrote a very long and convoluted question, which (laughs) requires a a translation book to understand. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Sam, we love you. We do so much. Um, Your question was real weird. (laughs) But basically it was asking... uh, is there a is there a case for focusing on pure hypertrophy that is training quote unquote like a bodybuilder um, as in muscles become the limiting factor or do a lack of muscles eventually come the limiting factor uh, in strength and I think that's a I think that's something that we can take and, and ride with for a little while yeah for sure uh, so what do you think about that I'm just gonna keep <laughs> I'm just gonna keep I'm gonna read it again just yeah. Wrap my head around. Yeah. So look, I think it's um, the sort of mm. crux of the question is uh, about understanding the intent behind the exercises that you're doing and how that fits into the overall context of, you know, your training at the moment, your training in the long term, be it, you know, over a course of a year or multiple years. Uh, but also understanding the difference in the goals that you have. Because ultimately, if the goal that you have is to be the best powerlifter possible, there's a combination of things that or factors that go into that. One of them is certainly cross-sectional area of muscles, you know, mm. muscle size, because in theory, a bigger muscle is a stronger muscle. But for almost everyone I've ever coached, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure almost everyone I've ever coached has not been limited by the size of their muscles in terms of the weight on the bar, but has instead been limited by their ability to execute a skill at a high intensity and therefore translate what I would I would sort of refer to as uh, like strength potential mm-hmm. uh, into uh, output in a task. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, like a, a bigger muscle is in theory a stronger muscle when you know tested in isolation, mm-hmm. but a bigger muscle has to then integrate into the whole system to execute the skill at a really high intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think um, suffice to say that uh, you know what is the recipe for growing muscles over time? It's lifting more more weight for more reps, right? It's progressive yep. overload. It's it's taking those muscles through range under load and having that load increase over time. Yeah. Uh, so the the automatic byproduct of, of that is that you're going to get stronger um, in, in that process, and vice versa. You know, if you've been doing powerlifting for ten years, you should be more muscular than you were on day one right yep. now. Um, so there is, cause this is, this is ultimately the crux of Sam's point, which is like his, he for a long time thought that the idea should be focus on the main lift for strength and then beat yourself up with accessories for the purpose of growing muscle and that the two automatically integrate together. And exactly what you just said, it is up to us to, to have a thoughtful pursuit to how we get those things to integrate and how we get the system to, to become complete. Um, I think this really comes back to your your stage in your lifting life, your uh, your experience level, because there are certain people, um, there are certain people that I will put through what I would deem a hypertrophy phase, and this is why I hate calling it a hypertrophy phase. Yeah, uh, I've almost completely stopped using it. I talk more about like capacity or work capacity or something. Yeah, capacity or even like body composition because you use it to play around with if someone's not trying yep. to gain muscle, trying to lose weight, whatever. Like the the capacity is probably the best way to categorize it. Um, 
uh, and, and so for all intents and purposes, when I say hypertrophy phase or capacity phase, body composition phase, whatever, I'm talking about sort of between 65 and 85, uh, 80% of your one rep max. Yeah. Um, there's, there's plenty of people who are put in those phases with no intention to grow muscle. So mm. um, most people listening to this will know Jen Smith. Jen Smith is a very muscular, uh, a very muscular female who sits right on the cusp of where her weight uh needs to be for her to compete in under 60s at something like pro roll. Uh, yeah. So she's always hovering between 58 and 62, 63, right? Going yeah. up and down. And if we stick her, she's got the natural propensity to grow muscle quite easily. Um, so if we uh, quite easily comparative to most females, like it's still going to take her a shitload of work and time as it has. It's not like she's just going to blow up, but we don't want to purposely grow her to the point where it then makes it hard for her to lose weight for competition. However, if she was just starting out and she was a bit softer uh, and she had no real base to work from, we would actively want to be growing muscle to serve the propensity to build strength in, like you were saying, you know, by cross-sectional area, the more muscle you have, the more strength propensity you have. Yeah. Um, so this, it's just about understanding experience and then working out your training in phases uh, to accommodate what your goal needs to be at that point in time. Yeah. And I think it's not to say that the two goals are inherently mutually exclusive either. Mm. Like you can, uh, the way I've sort of been talking about it recently with people is, uh, <clears throat> explaining the difference in intent and position behind like a competition bench press where the intent is mechanical advantage and leverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then something like a, you know, like the, in the bench example, like a hook lying dumbbell bench where the intent is mechanical disadvantage and tension and range. Uh, and those two things can go into the same program and be part of an overall system that is pushing everything in the right direction. But that's where I think the way Sam talked about it earlier is like just hammering on body parts. It's not as simple as just like getting a pump. It's about understanding the mechanics behind the movements you're doing and how you can change the execution of those exercises to either advantage or disadvantage the tissues that you're aiming at uh, driving adaptation through. Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make, like highlighting the fact that it it does uh, fit into a system and that the the goal and the purpose of the system ultimately trumps the individual components of that system, similar to diet. So diet's probably the easiest analogy to make where it's like, you know, if your overall goal with your, with your diet is health and also, you know, body composition, losing a little bit of fat, um, chips, you know, potato chips might not necessarily, uh, might not necessarily uh, disintegrate the system if they if the greater system is working towards that goal. You know, if you're still um, ticking the boxes of principle in terms of hitting whatever macronutrient targets you have, uh, staying in a calorie deficit, if you can fit potato chips in, they're not inherently a bad food, despite what labels that we carry in our head. If you carry it in your head that chips are a bad food, you're an idiot anyway. Yeah, <laughs> the whole and I was also going to say, I can also also always fit chips in. Yeah. They will always fit. doesn't matter how full you are. There's always a second stomach for chips. Uh, absolutely. But so, so by the same token, you know, the, the angle that Sam came at was, was using the example of leg press, using it as an example of like, on the one hand, you can decrease the intensity, uh, increase the relative intensity as it applies to uh, maintaining the integrity of stability in your hips. You know, holding a perfect hip position while you go through is going to limit the amount that you can just load up and press. And it's like, well, the inherent assumption with that when it's hypertrophy versus its contribution to the squat system 
is that that's the only exercise that you're using for either. Um, ignoring the fact that, okay, well, you might use that for that purpose. Uh, you know, you might use that as a lower intensity exercise to contribute to the way that you squat. Uh, but then ultimately, if you're in a hypertrophy phase or that's your immediate goal, you can smash yourself with, uh, you know, exercises that do take your quads through more range under load that are isolated. You can take yourself through a goblet squat variation or a leg extension or whatever it is to, you know, tax that muscle even further. So it's just more looking at the system as a whole first and then building the individual components based on that overall goal uh, and realizing that you can do multiple goals at once. It's just that you probably should have an overall focus um, uh, on one thing above others. Yeah, I uh, on a on that note and on the sort of systems idea, I was listening to uh, an episode of an unnamed Australian powerlifting podcast that is dramatically inferior to uh, Peak Speak. Um, and weaker than Peak Speak. Oh, there's that's three. Eight. That's three in one episode, Thomas. Stop, or you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I was listening to an episode uh, with those boys talking to uh, Kyle Dobbs, uh, Compound Performance on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, and he talked about their like training model or a system, and he described that they sort of put uh, exercises into three categories: yes. uh, capacity, sensory, sensory motor uh, skill, basically, and output. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, like if you're a power lifter, your output is a one rep max uh, back squat. Your capacity work is doing back squats that are not one rep maxes, i.e. building the strength and doing all the work that comes to that. And then you have skill exercises that are more about learning positions and understanding how to integrate those skills into other things. And mm-hmm. that the same exercise can be put in all three of those categories at various points uh depending on the intent behind it and the the execution of it so it's not that leg press exclusively fits into hypertrophic tools only but is instead about how you execute that exercise and how it sort of fits into the overall system yeah i love the way that they uh that they categorize according to that and you'll hear uh will crozier talking about that quite a bit as well um and you know, I uh, I do that in, in my own stuff as well, but I don't put a formal label on it. But I think that's really clever to do that because it, yeah. it, it helps people rationalize that you can use the same exercise for different purposes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The same kind of exercise. Like you can yeah. do a squat for output. You can do a squat for strength. Um, yeah. You can do a squat for work capacity. You can do a squat for stability. And you can change yeah. the squat uh, to tick any any or all of those boxes. Um, I think that's really wise because it it removes the idea of of you know what Sam was talking about, which is just you know I'm training, therefore I train hard, therefore I go ham on everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, that'll serve and, you really well to a point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you if you're going to continue to make long term progress, you're going to have to get more clever about it. Yeah, and I think as a coach, it's really important to be able to uh, to educate clients on on that idea and sort of help break that mold of thinking about things in really rigid boxes like that, but instead understanding the overall system and how it all kind of fits together and helps you learn how to move because ultimately that's the outcome, right, is mm-hmm. you're getting better at moving your body in space relative to the load that's imposed on it. Uh, and that involves the multitude of factors. It's not as simple as just get bigger muscles, get bigger squats. Yeah. Do you uh, use or program much NRAP stuff? Uh, 
yes and no. Uh, it's generally I'm like more like a nine, nine and a half RPE rather than an all out AMRAP. Uh, occasionally I will force something that's a little less skill intensive, uh, be it, you know, something like goblet squats or, or leg press or what, whatever the case may be where, uh, we're pushing more for like mechanical failure rather than technical failure. But, um, for the most part, it's not something I do a lot of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I, like my opinion on AMRAP training, um, I think it's a great deal of fun. I th- yeah, I think it breeds healthy competition either with others around you or in your own head. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think uh, one skill uh, that you breed through AMRAP training is the skill of grit. Uh, mm. and, I, and I think a lot of people lack that skill. Yeah, um, Grit just meaning, you know, your ability to really push and recognize when your brain says, hey, it's time to stop, but your body can keep going. Uh, yeah, yeah. Especially like, you know, a widow maker set on a leg press. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a perfect test for that. Um, however, in terms of like its contribution to either hypertrophy or strength, I think it's relatively useless. Yeah, exactly. And yes. yeah, you go. Sorry, I was just going to say that that's exactly the case. Is like the exercises you're using don't have to exclusively be about developing physical capacity or physical capabilities. There is a lot to be said, especially in a sport that is incredibly monotonous, like powerlifting. There is a lot to be said for exercises that develop mindset and toughness and resilience or grit or whatever it is you want to use for that. Uh, I think having grown up playing team sports, I got a lot of that through the fucking miserable training that we did playing team sports. Mm. And there's something to be said, like we used to do the like 100% the fittest I've ever been was like year 11 and 12 playing second 15 rugby where we weren't necessarily the most skilled team in the competition, but fuck, we could work for 80 minutes. And uh, it was all because we had one hour of misery every week. That was like Tuesday, we rock up, you warm up and then fucking suffer for 60 minutes minutes Mm. uh and that ability to suffer is i think very unique to the modality uh i could do like you know triples on the minute every minute for fucking 48 hours and probably be fine but i've found transitioning to riding a bike that that sort of suffering is way different and Mm. it's like i'm getting a different appreciation for it so it's a it's a mental skill that can be learned in a whole variety of uh, modalities, but is very specific to the the sort of suffering that you're doing. Hmm. You know, a, a set of uh, like a widow make a set on a leg press is going to feel a lot different to like you know something like a intense cardio session where you just keep going and going and going, right? And hmm. there's places for all of those things. I think uh, it's just about knowing how they fit into the overall scheme and also not just going so ham on it all the time that all you end up doing is running yourself into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. We, we made a post on zero yesterday, which, which I, I say to people a lot, which is, you know, you, your training is an investment in your time and you want the best return on your investment. Um, and, uh, you know, it's easy to misinterpret that statement as therefore everything I do needs to be hyper-specific to the usefulness of the chosen sport that I'm in. Um, but there's a, a certain specificity that relates to, uh, enjoyment and mentality as well Uh, so you know while amraps would not be specific to uh, your goals in terms of hypertrophy or strength there are attributes that may contribute to that like grit like the ability to grind 
And they're fun. They keep training interesting. And there's a lot to be said for now and then, uh, mm. uh, you know, having a bit of fun. I think the big thing with ANRAPs, which, which I, I never really understood about why people use them frequently in, in powerlifting training, um, is that it's maxing out. Like there's no different between doing a one rep max every week and going to failure on an exercise every week. Cause you think about it when you go to failure, if you do 10 reps and then you fail the 11th at that point in time, your 10th rep was your one rep max. Yeah. Like at that exact point in time. So by going to failure every week, we know we appreciate that if you go to a max every week that you're not going to get strong eventually, you know, it's going to serve you uh, for, for a little while while you're still working out how to express your strength. Once you can express your strength, that's it. That's a, you, you hit a brick wall. Um, but people do it with AMRAPs and they're like, nah, it's different. It's like, no, you're maxing out every week. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's interesting just, when you then, sorry to cut you off. It's interesting no, then right. when, when you apply that to strong men. So I've, I've uh, prepped a few strong men and women. Um, and, you know, oftentimes there is some sort of an AMRAP. This is, a, you know, a 170 deadlift for as many reps as you can within the minute. Um, it's like, do you, it, it raises this question. Do you program, do you program AMRAPs? Do you program around AMRAPs? Do you just focus on building strength? The reality is you build a, a couple of things at the same time, but if you've got an AMRAP comp in eight weeks, you'd be very silly to do an AMRAP every week and just try and get better at the skill of doing an AMRAP. Yeah. And see, then I, I can also see the argument on the other side. Like there is, there is a skill to doing a, a lot For of sure. reps in a short amount of time. It's a skill that is very exclusive to strongman and CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Like they're the two sort of strength sports that rely on your ability to pump a ton of reps out at a fairly high, you know, moderate to high intensity mm. uh, in, a, in a given time frame. And I think that is in itself a skill. For sure. Uh, but I think it's a skill that can, like most skills, be practiced at an intensity that allows you to recover adequately from it week to week and not just run yourself into the ground. Like you don't have to do AMRAPs to practice the skill of doing lots of reps in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on, I guess on the same uh, question with you know return on investment and something similar to an AMRAP, what about sp- speed work. Like I, f- I feel like we've spoken about speed work before and I think speed work by and large is dead when it comes to powerlifting. Um, but why, why is it less of a thing now in your opinion? Uh, so I think if you look at the origins of the speed work discussion, it largely came from the West side era of, <laughs> of super heavy, high intensity, super maximal lifting twice a week in a squat suit and a bench shirt. Mm-hmm. And then the necessity of one of the training days being less intense than the other training day. So you don't uh, know. Yeah, exactly. Having squatted, you know, 150 odd kilos over my one rep max raw in a suit, I can appreciate that you can't do that twice a week. Like it's <laughs> really fucking brutal. Yes. Uh, and so what it ended up being was their like quote unquote speed day was actually just about training the patterns, being able to do another training day at a mo- lower intensity. So you weren't just fucking hammering on your nervous system constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really beneficial from that standpoint. Mm. Uh, if I went back to equipment, that's not how I train now um, because I don't think it matters. Uh, I think the arguments for it are somewhat antiquated and reductionist in their approach to understanding the mechanics behind what it is that you're doing. 
and actually I think you're just better off taking the fucking bands and chains off the bar and lifting heavy rather than doing a whole bunch of really fast sets at 50% because all you've done is do a bunch of really fast reps at 50% and it doesn't do anything. And most people who go really fast and try and push really hard actually technically fuck the movement most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's my big beef with it is that, you know, when, when I tell you to do uh, 100 kilos like it's your max of 150, you're going to revert to your strongest movement pattern. And mm. if there's issues with that movement pattern, all you're doing is reinforcing those issues. You're just you exactly. know, creating that patterning over and over and over again. Is speed a skill? It's a yes. Can you improve on that skill? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, but the, there's it's lower in the hierarchy than absolute, you know, skill of the movement itself. Um, that said, there's still a lot of merit and uh, there's still a lot of merit for speed training, uh, explosiveness training for other sports. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like this, that's the discuss. This discussion is exclusive to powerlifting yes. because it's such a fucking slow sport. Like uh-huh. it's, it's actually super slow. You don't necessarily need to train high velocity stuff all the time because it doesn't transfer as well. Like you said, it's about being able to express force over a period of time but you train that not necessarily by lifting 30 percent plus 10 percent chains and 18 percent reverse bands Mm. um but instead by learning how to push hard against moderate intensity weights uh for anything else any sport that's like a real sport outside of powerlifting uh you should definitely be looking at things like uh power and force production and yeah like uh elasticity of tissues and all of those sort of things like that's it's a whole different discussion at that point yeah yeah it's so interesting how it's kind of um because we don't have any other option in powerlifting like think of where powerlifting training the the quote-unquote science of it has come from primarily it's from inference from other sports yeah so so you can't blame people for making that conclusion for looking at other sports and looking at other research and being like hey uh, speed power yeah this makes sense speed yeah. power 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 lifting power. oh yeah okay let's do speed work um when you take a little bit closer and look at uh, more of the attributes and understand specificity and uh, the the power argument is often so interesting because like power training speed training uh is often contributing to other aspects of that sport um mm. whereas in powerlifting when people start doing power or speed training they're often doing it like hyper specific to what we do yeah um yeah, it's just it's it's very interesting to observe. It's like you know, look at a look at a gridiron player doing broad jumps. It's not like when they're playing broad uh, when they're playing gridiron, they're just hopping around the field. Mm. <laughs> like there's there's aspects that 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 broad jump capability, the power that they develop with you know being in a static position and exploding makes sense when you're on a you know when you're on a whatever it's called when you're on the line uh, and need to scrimmage. Yeah, when you're doing that, yeah. <laughs> Sports. Wait, is it called a scrimmage? I thought a scrimmage was just like a, a quick drill in any sport. No, I think it's the line of scrimmage. I think that's what it's called. Are scrimmage you meeting. right now. Yes. A confused struggle or fight. American football. A sequence of play beginning with the placing of the ball on the ground with its longest axis at right angles to the goal line. Hmm, there you go. Okay. Engage in a scrimmage. I recommended that we would... I can't read. I'm sorry. Okay, while we're on the topic of sports, I'd just like to rub it in the face of all the Queensland Reds fans that the Brumbies won on the weekend, and that's all we're going to say about that. Cool. Uh, I wish I understood what you are just talking about. I'm yeah, exactly. It's something to do with an oval ball and large men hugging each other. Yeah. 
so to shift topic slightly, because I feel like we've done the speed work to death and um, unless we're going to spend the next 15 minutes saying back, 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 take it. I'm not, I'm not convinced we need to go any further. Uh, I would like to talk about frequency. This is something that I flagged us talking about a while ago and then just kind of forgot about. Uh, and I would like to know your thoughts on uh, like frequency of exposure to the competition movement patterns or slight variations on that and how you uh, think about and use sort of exposures over a course of a week uh, in your training programming. Yeah, that's interesting because like the, uh, the way you worded that question around exposures uh, for the purpose of skill um, is often what people don't think about when they're using frequency. A lot of people are using about frequency to build volume. Mm. And when it comes to that, I'm of the opinion that uh, quality reigns higher uh yeah quality reigns higher than quantity like why would you take the same amount of volume split it over four days when you can do it in two days and uh not be under the fatigue that diminishes from the quality of that movement um uh, so uh the the other the other thing that i often do with this that might be a little bit different to what other people do uh, in terms of skill exposure uh, is that a lot of people will automatically link up skill exposure to the lift itself so we'll be like, okay, well, if you want more exposure to the skill of squatting, you need to squat two or three times a week uh, rather than like, are there variations, are there elements of the system that have a higher skill demand that we can, we can train otherwise. So what I mean by that is, well, I only get my lifters to generally squat and deadlift once a week um, as per, you know, main loads, main intensities, there'll be exercises like tempo RDLs. There'll be exercises like good mornings. There'll be exercises like tempo leg press or leg press with very specific cueing. So we're taking elements of skill that that lifter might need to work on and placing that at different points in the week. Um, in terms of how frequent for squat and deadlift patterning once to twice a week for bench patterning twice a week minimum uh, is, is generally the standard I work from. Um, sometimes, you know, when I have these discussions with lifters or in the coach development programs, uh, I can come across as set in my ways and it's less that I'm set in my ways and more that I've tried probably every frequency under the sun and arrived at a frequency that I find works best for most people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I will toy with that. Um, you can get really fancy and start looking at like microcycles not being seven days and, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, over the course of two weeks rather than benching four times, you bench five times yeah, uh, and so forth. But I, I, I like to keep my microcycles stuck in the seven day period. And in general, two benches minimum, uh, one to two squat and deadlifts. Yeah. And I basically echo all of those sentiments now for where I'm at in my coaching. I, um, I think, you know, like a lot of things, if you're smaller uh, and less strong, you can probably handle more frequency of exposure to those movement patterns. If you're a big, strong person, you're probably going to need the less frequency in order to drive the adaptations you're looking for. Uh, I played around with, uh, I think it was after 2015 nationals. I think I, I think it was then. Anyway, I played around with um, uh, like squatting to a max five days a week. Uh, and like all I did, it was actually really fun. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was like- You were doing raw max and sleeves, right? So, so I was doing three different squat maxes. Like I, so I, I was rotating uh, beltless high bar, uh, low bar and a belt, uh, front squat, 
and belted front squat. Gross. I think that was the four I was rotating. Uh-huh. Maybe it was three. Anyway, it was like three or four different squat variations done to a max every day for, I think I did it. Oh, sorry, it was like five days a week. So I squatted to a max every day except for Thursday and Sunday. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was using at the time the push band uh, as a velocity tracker um, just because it was an interesting experiment. Uh, and so I used like, when I say a max, it wasn't like an all out grindy single every day. It mm-hmm. was, I think I used, it was like point zero point two five or something like that meters a second. Like there was a, a speed cutoff that I considered my like max for the day after the first week or so I had kind of established what felt like a, you know, like a nine, an RPA nine single. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, did that five times a week for a while. It was a fun experiment. It it hurt. (laughs) There was a point like, so initially, I think it was the first three weeks I did basically no volume. It was just like hit a max single done. Uh, After the first three weeks, I introduced a little bit of drop set volume, like hit a max single, drop down and do a couple of sets of three or two. Uh, that's when it really started to hurt. Mm. Um, I got heaps stronger. Like I, I probably put 15 or 20 kilos on my squat across the board, like in all of those aspects. Uh, but it nearly broke me. Like mm. by the end of it, it really hurt. And I think it was an interesting experiment that I'm glad I've done, but I would never actually recommend to anyone yeah. uh, unless you have a tendency towards the slightly sadistic end of things uh, and you like to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an experiment that I think a lot of people toy with the idea of like the Bulgarian system or something like that without appreciating the the constraints that you need to apply to a system like that in order for it to actually be useful in the mid to long term. Cause like I got much stronger in theory in six weeks, but didn't hold on to much of that after that because it was, I just got better at executing the skill. Right? Yeah. And you just can't maintain that level of intensity for very long without the aid of a significant amount of drugs, uh, mm-hmm. which I was not taking. Um, and yeah, I think too many people lean on this idea of like it's fun and maxing out all the time is great and you can see a period where it works but without understanding the sort of mechanisms that are going on behind it. Yeah, I see. I'd argue the drugs point anyway because you'll hear that you'll hear that a lot as well. It's like, oh, well, so-and-so lifter, you know, so-and-so Russian lifter or whatever can only handle that because of the, the drugs. It's like, well, all that's doing is taking them up a notch yeah. uh, but it doesn't make them, you know, uh, uh, completely resilient to injury. It's just, no. you know, the relative weight on the bar is up, but the, the relative fatigue uh, is still there. Um, I think, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, one thing that I tend to observe with lifters that uh, do this sort of hyper-frequency and hyper-specific, you know, squat, bench, deadlift, and one or two variations with very little accessories, they'll get strong. They will get strong and they, mm. they will make consistent progress. Um, however, their lifting tends to always look like shit as in doesn't seem to improve from wherever it was just because there isn't enough uh, work being put into changing that. And ultimately that is going to be a driving factor of progress over time. Yeah. Uh, and the other big thing that you and I have the, I, I guess the foresight uh, that a lot of people won't have that are new to the sport and uh, you know buying into this idea of high frequency is the longevity aspect. There aren't mm. a lot of people that are doing this super high frequency that have been doing it for years. 
Yeah. You know, you, yeah, sure. Jump on three times a week, squat bench deadlift uh, with very little accessories and watch your lifters fly, uh, your lifts fly through the roof. But as soon as you start coming across, you know, little niggles and injuries, uh, that's going to be game over. Like you're not going to be able to handle that anymore. And everything will appear. It's going backwards where it's just nature uh, saying, slow down. If anyone gets that reference, I'll give you a hundred dollars. Do you get the reference? You don't get the reference. Also, I don't think I'll video later. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing is it's it's a tactic and that's probably the best way to describe it, right? It's a tactic that can be very useful when it's applied in the right context. Like a lot of things in strength training, they can be very useful when applied in a very specific context. But I think the tendency of people kind of across the board is to uh, – is to take an idea and then extrapolate that idea into this being the holy grail and the answer to all of their problems mm-hmm. and then applying it in a way that ignores the context uh, in you know hopes of being able to gain all of the positives and none of the negatives and without appreciating that whole picture, then you're likely to end up in trouble. Yeah, and I mean, like, you, you can't expect yourself to have foresight uh, that, that we have uh, over observing this stuff and watching this stuff and working closely with this stuff over years and years and years. Mm. Like, I, I can completely understand a lifter that switches to a higher frequency program, gets results, and is like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. Like, well, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, yeah, and exactly. I've experienced that, you know. I, I went from benching twice a week to benching four to five times a week. And I went from, uh, you know, having a, having had a max of 140 um, for, I don't know, between 130 and 140 for like two years to going to 180. Uh, uh, yeah. And, the, I mean, like that happened relatively quickly. That happened within sort of 18 months. Um, and, you know, it was like, fuck yeah, why wouldn't I keep doing this? And then my, my, you know, the transition between that sort of 180 and 200 was years because I started running into, I tore my pecs maybe, I don't know, four or five times in the next two years after that, you know, throwing a couple of surgeries and some time off and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, but I started getting injured. I started getting these shoulder problems. I, I've still got a shoulder problem on my left side that I would attribute to that, that period, which was like two years of really crazy frequency be- benching. Um, yeah, it's- and same thing with my squats. Yeah, it's a, it's a high risk, high reward scenario mm. when done in the short term, but that's where I think it can be useful in the in the scheme of things. Like I think being able to toward you know perhaps closer to a competition, you're looking at increasing your frequency slightly while you taper off some of the volume through some of your accessories. That can then be a period where the goal is improve skill execution and uh, transfer all of that potential strength into the actual movements themselves that's a really really incredibly powerful and very valuable tool Mm. but that's not the way you should be training 365 days a year it just it's not uh sustainable in the long term and like you said as i feel like we sound like broken records saying this all the time but uh longevity in powerlifting is the thing that most people forget is a huge factor in success Mm. If all you did was add like 10 kilos of total uh, to your total, you know, every six months or every year for 15 years, that's suddenly a significant increase in your total over time. And you've just been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, so you've then got a whole 
a whole wealth of knowledge and experience in things that work and things that don't work. That's why people like you and I become coaches, right? Because basically the thing that you do when you hire someone like us who, who has an, uh, an extensive knowledge and has made a lot of really dumb decisions in their own training, hmm. uh, AKA you and me, um, is you get someone who's made a lot of those mistakes. So you can, you can speed up some of that process. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't take much logic to figure this out on your own. Um, just like the, it, cause you know, the idea of adding a hundred kilos to your total every year, it's just like the idea of just add 2.5 kilos to the bar, um, every week forever, you know? Yeah. Um, do that over, over the course of year, you've added 25, do that over four years, you've added a hundred. If you've got yeah. a 200 bench, you're at 300 in eight years, you're at 400. Yeah. How many people do you see benching 400 kilos? Yeah, exactly. Not a lot, not or, any. More importantly, benching for 10 years in a row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you put it into perspective, if things were that easy, uh, everyone would be squatting and deadlifting thousands of kilos and benching yeah. hundreds and hundreds of kilos. Um, yeah. And I think that's a pretty good place to end. I think we've been going for longer than we planned. Yeah, well, longer than we thought we'd managed to get out of the two or three minor topics that we came up with. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag professionals. All right, good chat. Share us on Instagram. We love that shit. Uh, yeah, and uh, buy some coffee from our good friends at Prism Coffee using the code PIGSPEAK. Thank you very much.